Let's pray. Father, may your Holy Spirit work this morning in every one of our lives. And God, for those that have already had a close encounter with you this morning during the worship, I just pray that you would just continue to move them closer to you. Lord, move all of us closer to you. And as we read these words today, that they would not be just words written centuries ago, but Lord, that they would be as relevant today as they were when they were written. And so as we spend this time, may your Holy Spirit rest in this place, touch every individual watching, listening, present, and those around the world. And so Lord, we just ask you now for your grace and your anointing in these words, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus. We are going through the Bible. We are in Exodus chapter 15, but before we go into Exodus 15, we'll do a light review in uh, chapter 14. Last Sunday night, we had a number of people get baptized here. It was a grand time, and We'll have another baptism scheduled if you miss that one. And so I want to just encourage you to uh, keep in prayer and let the Lord just do as he wants to do in your life. As we look at the life of Moses, the children of Israel, how God called them out by name to make them a great nation. And God does things much differently than we do. I always sometimes in my mind get an idea how God's going to do something. And when God doesn't follow my plan, I feel like God has not really answered my prayer. But I find that God does many greater things in his plan than I would ever accomplish in mine. And so not only did God deliver the children of Israel from slavery, from Egypt, but he also showed the Egyptians who was really God. Now, as we look at this in Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel are being pursued by Pharaoh's army. They decided after the 10 plagues that after they let the people go, they decided they didn't really want to get rid of their free slave labor, so they sent out the military to bring them all back. But God saw all this, and if we go back to Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh said, who is this God of yours that I should listen to him? God says, all right, I'll show you who I am. And so we find here, And we can just look at verse 24 of chapter 14. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire, the cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He happened to trouble them at their most vulnerable point, and that was in the middle of the Red Sea. You see, God parted the Red Sea for Moses. And again, I always look for this in our Christian lives as this. When you are pressed beyond measure and you despair even of life, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, remember this, God's about to do something amazing in your life. Mountains on both sides, Pharaoh's army behind you, the Red Sea in front of you, and the only way out is up. That's what God specializes in. Now, why does God wait for the last minute to do things? Friends, I don't know. But I know this, 
I believe sometimes in waiting for the last minute really demonstrates to us that we have exhausted every possible solution to fix the problem ourselves. So there God then intervenes miraculously at the last minute because realizing there is no other solution for the problem other than God. This is exactly what happened with the children of Israel. As they passed through the Red Sea, God parted it, and they're on dry ground. Now that they're all on dry ground, Pharaoh's army decides it's going to pursue them through the Red Sea. At this point, I would have thought the command from the head Egyptian captains was crazy. You don't ride your chariots into a parted Red Sea. Failing to interpret the data at hand can be disastrous, not only for the people of Egypt, but also in our own personal lives. When you see things going wrong in your life and you begin to think, hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Don't miss the data at hand. I would be very suspicious running a chariot through the Red Sea with fish poking their heads through heaved up water. I would begin to say, now that's something you don't see every day. But instead of them saying, hey, we're not supposed to be here, they press on. And as they press on, God makes it more evident to them they're not supposed to be here. Now, I don't know how God does this next verse, but I know God has ways of doing it. Let's look at this next verse here. He took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Their wheels came off the bus. Now, when you stop to think about this for a minute, they're all out in the Red Sea. Wheels start falling off the thing. They got fish's heads poking through the heaved up water, I'm sure. And they realize something is wrong. And so they said, let's change course. Let's flee. I believe at this point they were probably trying to turn around. And of course they had a traffic jam because bus wheels were falling off their chariots. And so the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. The waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the, in the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. And the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and over all the armies of Pharaoh. And they came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained or escaped, literally. And the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, And the waters were a wall up on their right and on their left. And so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. There's something about, again, as we talked about this last week, seeing your old enemy finally done. And they were done. We talked a little bit about this. Some people wonder if this is where Israel got some armament. 
I don't know how the bodies would have floated to shore. I imagine they uh, probably bloated up or something. I don't know. But whatever it was, the Egyptians were dead. And thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Again, your testimony, what God does through you, is evident to people around you. And when they see that you take a licking and keep on ticking, they know that it's God doing that. It's not you. And you look at this and realize, and I shared this before, years ago they had this Timex commercial, and the guy goes, yeah, I found my watch out in the field. I was plowing, and two years later, I picked it up, and it was still working. You remember those goofy commercials for Timex? I would think that Timex should spend a little more money on wristbands. They'd be losing their watches so often. But the point is, is it took a licking and kept on ticking. That's the same way it is for you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The devil wants to stop you and me from doing what we do for God. Through the circumstances and the events of this life. And yet through all of that, we continue to do what God's called us to do. Then Moses, chapter 15, verse 1. And the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, and by the way, this is the first song we find recorded in the Bible. I think it's kind of interesting, but this is where actually we find the congregation breaking out. They were so overjoyed when they finally saw the destruction. Now, you got to remember, children of Israel just saw 10 plagues come upon the Egyptians. It did not come upon them. He, they, they just saw their enemy completely wiped out in the Red Sea. They saw the pillar of fire by night, the cloud of smoke by day. I mean, these people are surrounded with supernatural miracles. And yet we're going to see that continually they doubted God. Now, I always look at that and say how clunky these people are. But then I realize sometimes I'm the same way. I can see the victories that God has given me in my life. And yet when I come up to the next challenge, I go, okay, God, where are you? Isn't that funny how we forget? That's why the Bible tells us to remember the pit from which we were dug and the hole that we were drawn from. Why is that? Because we forget. That's why we need to be together on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and other times. It reminds us of the goodness of God. This is why, again, in the Passover meal, not only did they get to eat the the great part of Passover, but they had the bitter herbs in there. Why were they, did they have the bitter herbs? Was to remind them of how bitter slavery was. Because oftentimes they would go to Moses and they'd say, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. We miss the leeks and the garlics. Our breath hasn't stunk for a long time. We want to go back. And and it's really amazing to me because as you look at this, they forgot the tyranny of slavery. Thus, the bitter herbs was to remind them that it wasn't everything they remembered it to be. Well, they break out in song. Song of Moses, this is not the only one. There's another one up coming up uh, pretty soon as well as we continue to study. I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. 
Wow, I got to tell you, this was probably saying with great enthusiasm. Moses in his rock concert. No, this was saying with great enthusiasm. Why? Because first of all, all you find is praise to God. You don't find any praise to Moses or to Aaron or any other thing. It's all praise to God. And by the way, friends, that's what true worship is. It never worships the instrument. It worships God. And so that's the first thing. And always remember, true worship is to God, not about God. And so you'll notice, I will sing unto the Lord. So it's a direct relationship, like a prayer set to music. And the Lord is my strength and song. Not the Lord will give me strength, but the Lord is my strength. Do you realize there's a big difference? The source of your strength. Is it your strength with God added in, or is it God solely in your life? Big difference. Because oftentimes, people come to church, people get a relationship with God to add to what they are doing, not that God is the focal point and the center, uh, the center part of, of what they're, what they're looking at. And so he says, and has become my salvation. You know, you can know about God. You can know God's salvation is there, but until it becomes real to you, it's second party. It's, it's abstract. So it's when God's salvation comes to you. Friends, maybe you don't need God's salvation like you may need it in the future. But I can guarantee you, if you're a Christian, when you need it, it will be there. You see, again... It's not an addition hung on my card. It's that God is the card. And there's a lot of Christianity today that says, oh, just put Jesus in your pocket and climb to the top. No, I got to get up. You know, you ever seen that bumper sticker? God is my co-pilot. Let me just tell you something. God is the pilot. I'm in the trunk. I want him to drive. Because you know what I found in this life? I don't know where I'm going. I have found that oftentimes in my life. Somebody will walk up and say, what are you doing? And your response will be, I don't know. Because we don't. We don't know what we're doing. Because everything that I am doing oftentimes is based on the circumstances surrounding my life. But if you've lived any time at all, you realize the circumstances by the day can change. Look at our world. Look at the news. Look at the imploding of America right now, friends. We've got real issues. Do you realize everything we've known about life is going to rapidly change now when the United States of America has equipped equipped Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, all of the terrorists in the Middle East with the most sophisticated technology and American weapons that we have? When we literally walked away from tens of billions of dollars of military equipment, all now in the hands of sworn enemies to the United States. The reason we were in Afghanistan in the first place, and this is somehow missing in our news, was because of 9-11. This was the hot spot where these people were making all their plans to destroy America. America came in to break up the uh, terrorist groups 
And we didn't realize how sophisticated they were. That's why we were there. And that's why we need to still be there. Albeit, maybe getting out of there wouldn't be a bad idea, but you don't leave eight brand new Apache helicopters, which could be sold to China, reverse engineered, saving them trillions of dollars in research and stealing and breaking into our computers. They have an exact copy. Hey, copy it and make them all you want. Billion dollar air bases now completely in control of American. You don't think this is going to change the way the world and their safety is? Look, we didn't even know that stuff existed. We didn't even know that stuff existed before 9-11. Now it's going to be exported around the world. So what I'm saying, being in Christ, being in his love, so important in the days that we're in. Because again, circumstances change. I can make my plans, but God can change those things so I will be of the most effectiveness for him. He has become my salvation. I pray that he's become yours today. He is my God and I will praise him. My father, God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have have become cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. It's really amazing to me again. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and they sank to the bottom like a stone. It's amazing how God dealt with the enemies of the children of Israel. I believe God would deal with the enemies of the United States if we would call on him, but we don't anymore. We're a post-Christian era. We don't find God honored in the movies. We don't find God honored in our schools or our colleges or our government. In fact, some actually are deliberately saying we are scrubbing God out of our political platform. Really? So what is the result of that going to be then? You're going to adapt philosophies and idealisms that are contrary to the Spirit of God, which God will judge. You know one of the things that God says, if you don't honor me, no rain will fall on your land. I wonder if the great drought that we've had for the last 20 years, where they say Lake Mead is now so low and Lake Powell is so low that they can no longer pump out of it, which is going to create water shortages throughout all of the Southwest, Nevada, Arizona, Southern California, uh, New Mexico, Nevada. All those places are running out of water. And I think, how sad. Because really, I believe if we would repent and and call on the name of the Lord, the rain would come. But when we are in rebellion to God, God does things to get a country's attention. And so he says here, God fights for his nation. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And your greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You set forth 
your watch, which, cons- which consumed them like stubble. By the way, they were so excited and so blessed when the enemies of Egypt were wiped out in the sea that they just all of a sudden just break forth in song and start singing and praising God. I think that's kind of interesting because it wasn't pre-programmed. It was just something that came out of their heart. Now notice that Moses did this, the congregation of Israel. They were led. In fact, as we get farther into this chapter, you're going to find that Miriam, Moses' sister and Aaron's sister, older sister, um, led the women in worship. And by the way, I do believe people will break out in song when they see others doing that. That's why I want to be careful when you're, you know, if you're around, um, you know, Danny Doldrum and, 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 and everything is bad and everything is down, I can find that that'll pull you down. But you know, when you, when you have a relationship with God, you go, okay, God, well, you got me through this. You got me through that. Hey, let's, let's praise God. See, that's one of the good things. I can be having a pretty bad day. And if I get around the saints, like this morning when I, during the worship, man, I was blessed with tears. All of a sudden I just realized, you know, whatever it was that was bothering me when I came in here ain't bothering me no more. Why is that? Because my focus changes from my problems to God who fixes the problem. So important in our lives. So he says, in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You set forth your wrath, which consumed them like stubble. Verse 8, in the blast of your nostrils, the water gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap, and the depths of congealed have been in the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, amongst the gods? Now, this is really important. Who's among you, God? amongst the other gods. What's interesting here is the Bible acknowledges that there's other gods. There's other things that can capsulate your fancy. But there's a true God that overrides all the others. How important then is it that I endeavor to know who this real God is over, as the Bible says here, the other gods? The gods that doesn't mean anything. The gods that capsulate the people's minds in the world today. The things that they serve. Oh, you don't think? I've really never met an atheist. I've met people that say, oh, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. You believe in something or you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. What lights your fire? What turns you on? What's your buzz, baby? Tell me, what is it? Because there's something that lights your fire. Something that causes you to put your shoes on the morning and get out of bed. That's your God. Now, maybe it's driving your car. Maybe it's it's going to school to get your diploma. There's a lot of different gods that are out there. But there's only one true God that overrules all the others. And that's what it says here. Who is like you? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And by the way, if you're a Christian here this morning, 
You're a candidate for God's miracles. Remember that. I shared this years ago, but I, when I, I, I had gone to church pretty much my whole life, I got tired of church. I really wanted to know who God was. And some friends invited me to church and I went and I was expecting the same old thing that I had experienced because no one really taught the Bible. It was just a bunch of flowery words. And I remember I came into church and there they were worshiping like we worshiped here this morning. And the uh, pastor got up and began to teach the Bible. And I was shocked. I I didn't know what's he doing. (laughs) I'm not hearing about how, you know, putting Jesus in your pocket, you're going to climb to the top. This guy was actually telling us what the Bible said. And I, I remember that. And, and what I, what I was taken back by was that in doing that, I was so touched. I was so, uh, overwhelmed. Um, and on the back of the church, it said, expect a miracle written across the, and I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. Why was God such a God of miracles in the Bible and today don't know nothing? Or is he doing things, but without expecting him to do something, I won't see it or he won't do it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the scripture tells us. So is God endeavoring to do miracles, but I'm blocking his power because I don't believe, A. Or two, is God doing miracles in my life because I'm, you know, I'm dumb. I don't recognize, hey, that was a miracle. You should have died in that intersection where that guy blew through it. You should have, you should have uh, um, gotten fired. You should have, and you look at all the things that should have been, could have been, and you go, well, God, man, you've been with me the whole time. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize it. I need to put on my sunglasses, S-O-N glasses. Whoa, miracles are everywhere. You see, it makes a difference. Because I, I become numb because of the things of the world. Wow, pure luck! No, Christians don't have luck. I believe your footsteps, if you're a Christian, are divinely ordained by God. Makes a big difference. And so when we stop to realize, and think about it, if you're not a Christian here today, I want you to know a couple of things. Number one, God's hand has been on you. Even though you did not know him, he had his hand on you. Just as God had his hand on Pharaoh, by the way, God showed Pharaoh 10 times his divine power. Think about that for a minute. Here is a person 100% opposed to God. And God says, I'm going to continue to show you, Pharaoh, that I'm God. Man, talk about close encounters of the real kind. I mean, there it was. God's grace extended to Pharaoh, showing him that God was God and he wasn't. Because again, in the Egyptian culture, they exalted their Pharaohs into the elevation of Godhood. And and so he he was showing him that he was God. Now that's really God's grace in a person's life. But God shows us that same thing as well. If we're willing to see it, God is as much of God of miracles today as he was in the Bible. So he says, who is like you? And of course, no one. Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. In your mercy, you have led forth people whom you have redeemed 
and you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Palicia. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling at the hold of them, all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O God, till they pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O God, which you have made for your own dwelling, sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. What's Why is that important? Because 40 years after what we're reading, after they'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, we remember the children of Israel went into the promised land. And as they went into the promised land, they came, and we remember they came to a place where Rahab the harlot was. And she said to the spies, we know what your God did to the Egyptians. Forty years ago, it was still very much real in their minds. The dread of the God of Israel coming against them caused fear. And Rahab said, promise me this, I've been kind to you, preserve me. And they said, hang a scarlet thread out of the window And anybody that's in your building, we will not harm. And it is interesting that through that type of Christ, that red scarlet rope hanging out, that they were preserved and went on to be in the lineage of Christ. You have to look at this. God knows who loves him. Rahab, though she was an evil woman, she was a repented woman in which God spared. Now, He tells us here, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And someday, friends, he will. We're just this sigh of the seven-year tribulation period, then the millennial reign of Christ, and then eternity with him in the new Jerusalem. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and the horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Something interesting. Too much water, not a good thing. Not enough water, not a good thing. It just takes the right amount, okay? Pharaoh's army had too much water. Now, as we read up here a little bit farther, we're going to see they ran out of water. And so it says... Miriam the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her, with tremble and dance. And Miriam answered them and said, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has thrown, been thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness to Shur, and they went three days wilderness and found no water. And that's about as long as a human can go without water is three days. So they were running on empty. Now, when they came to Mirah, they could not drink the waters of Mirah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place was called Mirah or bitter. 
They come, they see water, and they go, oh, yay, yay, and they get there, and the water's no good. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, again, they, they saw the pillar of fire. They saw the pillar of smoke. They saw the Egyptian army wiped out in the sea. Three days before, they were all having this grand song and worship service. And then just three days later, well, what have I got to drink, Moses? So he cried out to the Lord. I think that was wise for what Moses do. When you get a problem, cry out to the Lord. Don't just spaz out. Go to God and say, God, help. And the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. They didn't do well on their test. God showed Moses a tree and put the tree branches in the water and somehow it fixed the water. Now, did it cause the, the calcium and the, and the, all that stuff to sink to the bottom? Was it just a divine miracle that God did with this tree? I don't know. But I know this, that in our lives, we got a lot of bitter pools in our lives, don't we? You know what those are? When someone mentions somebody's name and you go, that's a bitter pool. You ever notice that? Or a place where maybe life wasn't so good to you there and you went, those are bitter pools. But you know what's really interesting? When you put the cross in, when you put the wood that Jesus died on in that pool, the waters are made sweet. Because instead of it being a bitterness, I can say, Lord, what did you want to show me through that? You know, the place of Mirah was a place where God showed the children of Israel he could take something unfit to use and make it sweet. Now you think about that for your own life. Who heals you? If you're not a Christian here today, what, who goes through your life and helps you repair the damage that life, people, experience has done to you? You don't think that's real? Hey man, we're all walking wounded. But you know, one of the great things is when you add the cross of Christ into your life, for this reason, Christ died. And I've always shared this with everything, everyone. When you look back at your life, I look at it through the cross of Christ. For this reason, Christ died. When I look forward, I see a risen Savior who leads me where he wants me to be. If you're not a Christian, you are going to somewhere to find relief for those bitter pools. Maybe it's a bong. Maybe it's a six-pack. Maybe it's, it's some other indulgence. Because you're running from the sins you can't erase. You're running from the things that you can't separate naturally from. And by the way, you can't. Because they have become part of you. Your experiences become part of us. And so what God does then through the cross is he allows us to separate those events from who I am. And no longer can those things drag me back. But now, as the Bible says, we're new creatures in Christ. You need to be a new creature in Christ today. And so it says, the waters were made sweet. 
And he made a place, and this was a statue or a test for them. And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees, and so they camped by there, the waters there. It's interesting The Bible doesn't say there was any great lesson to be learned where everything was convenient. Twelve walls of water, 70 palm trees. Okay, I'm comfy. Hey, I don't grow much when I'm in an amusement park. Unless you're on a ride that breaks and people are flying off. Then, yeah, I I, got to tell you guys a funny story. I was at Disneyland years ago. This was years ago. And they had this new ride. I, I can't remember which one it was. It was after the Matterhorn, but it was their big roller coaster ride. And this guy comes out dressed in a in a thing, and he said, "Would you like to go on a new ride?" And I said, um, "Okay." So he said, "Walk this way." So we walked back, and there were two by fours still laying on the ground. Uh, they, they, it was under construction. I said, "Well, is it safe?" He goes, "No, that's fine. We just haven't cleaned all this up yet. We just want to get some people's opinion of this ride." So we got in, they brought the bar down, we're sitting there, and there was only like two or three of us on this little trolley, there was several cars, and we were just the only ones sitting in there, and I thought, this is this is how you die, because <laughs> this is weird, I, I mean, I was a crash test dummy, and, and I'm sitting there, and, and the light turns green, and here we go, and I, I, I couldn't help but notice, like, you know, buckets of of whatever it was like taping mud and 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 I really was surprised they let us do this and I I got on this thing and it was the most violent ride I have ever been on in my life I was slamming from one side to the other side and when I got back to the thing I mean I was bruised I was hurt and I and the guy goes what did you think and I said you're going to kill people on this thing because it was too fast. Now, they slowed it down. I, I believe that was when it was at like 112 miles an hour. And they slowed it. Now, I think now today it's like 60 or something. It's half as fast as it was. But I, I, I was absolutely overwhelmed. I, I just go, you're going to kill people on this. There's experiences that we go through in life that that unless... I believe God is there with us, we would really be freaked out. But the thing is, I don't generally learn much when I'm, I'm, I, everything's going my way. It's when I am faced with a trial, like the people were at Mirah versus the 12 wells of water and the 70 palm trees. They didn't, doesn't say anything how they grew and, oh, God was good. No, they, they grew. The test was at Mirah. If you're going through a place in your life that seems to be bitter, put the cross in there. Allow God to come and forgive you and and restore you. The Bible says he wills. This morning, if you're not a Christian, your past is haunting you. I don't care who you are. I know that it does. When you lay your head down on your pillow at night, the tape rolls. Some people have said to me, I just can't shut my brain off at night. That's right. Because you have become part of the things of your past. You need to decouple that because those things are not you. All the psychology in the world, all the pep talks in the world, all the motivational speaking in the world will never, ever separate you from the experiences of your your past. 
but Jesus can. You put the wood in there. You put the wood that Christ died on in there and he will separate you. You are not the experiences that you have experienced. You can learn from them, but they're not you anymore. Old things pass away, Paul says. Behold, all things become new. Why does he say that? Because you're not limited by your experiences of your past. Being about your daddy's business is going to cause you to have a brand new horizon. Not only does God forgive you of those sins, not only does God separate you from those things, but he makes you a brand new person in him. That's what you need. That's what we all need. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, you need to repent. That means stop living for yourself. Stop trying to run from the sins you can't erase and say, okay, God, I surrender. You take Pharaoh's army and cast it into the sea. You know, that's a type of baptism is the, the sea closing over the Egyptians. They came out of slavery on their way to the promised land. When we come out of slavery to Pharaoh, Satan, we go through a baptism and we're on our way to the promised land. And the horse and rider, those things that used to torment you, are thrown into the sea. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to consider Christ. First of all, to accept him as your savior. But then, a reason to live for, you have a purpose. And that's to say, okay, God, from now on, what do you want me to do? You are designed by God for a reason here on this earth. Have you spent 10 minutes this week asking him what it is? Well, I want to encourage you to do that. But you see, you got to be his. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now, and you can ask Jesus to come into your life. Repent from the foolish way you've lived. Accept what he did for you on the cross, that wood that you need to separate you from your past. The Bible says he will. If you need to pray, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. So separate me now from the things of the past and allow me now to live each day new in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to be about your business. I believe Jesus rose from the dead to give me life every day. And so write my name in your book of life forever. In Jesus' name, amen.